Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 18? Jesus is no victim. Now remember, we've already studied that this has to do with the glory of God and his Christ. Glory. We think of passion and suffering. Christ declares that it is glory for him to do this for us. Previous chapter we just finished, John 17, I think it's in verse 11. He said, I'm no longer in the world. Christ now is in another place and he's alone. Only he could do what is required. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I'm no longer in the world. So there would be no more declaring of the gospel in the sense that Christ did previously to the multitudes and the teaching. It was just Christ headed to an appointment that only he could fulfill. And he was headed to engage an enemy that only he could defeat. So with full resolution, he is headed to the cross and to all of those things that attend to his suffering and his trial, his crucifixion, and his being laid into the tomb. And yet, Christ is not the victim. We're going to see that as we study this passage here today. Beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 18. Having said these things, that is, having prayed his prayer, he prayed for us in John 17. He prayed for his own. And now he goes into action for his own. Having said these things, Jesus went out. He had an engagement. He said at the first of John 17, the hour has come. This is the time of Passover. This is the time of the Passover. When the father would offer the son as the lamb of God. Jesus went out. It's a very determined statement there in the original text. It, it means that he is, he is intent with determination on doing something that has to be done. 
Now, in the, in the greater context, only he could do it. He couldn't send his disciples to do this. He couldn't send another, he couldn't even send an angel, nor could he send a host of angels or all the angels. Only he can do this. Jesus went out with his disciples beyond the winter stream of Kidron. Now, the historians tell us that in this time frame, Passover in Jerusalem, there would have been more than a quarter of a million lambs slain. The priesthood would have to continually work slaughtering these Passover lambs. And their blood, it was the wet season, the blood would flow freely. And we saw where they were, and it says here, uh, well, we saw earlier that they are in the Kidron, which is a valley, and in the valley there's a stream. All of this blood is making its way to this stream. A tremendous illustration, a stark reminder, even to Jesus himself, of what's about to happen. Beyond the winter stream of Kidron, where there was a garden, now we're told elsewhere, it's the Garden of Gethsemane. In that area, in the area of Mount of Olives, there were many gardens, people owned property there. They would have gardens, they would have built fences or walls, they would have gates, perhaps a lock. But there was a particular garden where Jesus, to which Jesus would retire. It was like home to him. It was his place of, of rest. And there he would rest and there he would pray, of course. Obviously, he has an arrangement with whoever the owner of the garden happened to be. So it's wee hours of the morning. It's middle of the night, wee hours of the morning, and he and his disciples go into the garden into which he and his disciples entered. Well, Judas knew about that place. He knew that this is where Jesus would go. Now, Judas, who was delivering him up, also knew the place because Jesus often gathered there with his disciples. Therefore, Judas, having procured the cohort, let me stop there. A Roman cohort was comprised of six centuries of men. In other words, about 600 men. A centurion would be a commander of a century of men, a commander of a hundred or so Roman soldiers. Six of those comprised a cohort. That means that this would be somewhere around 600 soldiers. And it would take 10 cohorts to make up a legion. So the cohort tells us, the cohort, that's not, that's not the title of an officer. That's the title of the group, 600 soldiers. All right, now, a soldier a trained legionnaire, a trained soldier, battle-hardened, 
was no stranger to the difficulties of the Middle East, just like today. So these soldiers of this cohort, they would have come from Fort Antonia, which is that tower of a place that looked down over into the temple ground so that the Romans could keep up with what was going on. A cohort, about 600 or so. So 600 well-armed, battle-ready, aggressive, hostile Roman soldiers show up. Jesus had performed miracles. He had raised the dead. Jesus was very popular. They didn't know what they would face. So they were trying their best to keep all of the commotion down. Thus, they came in the middle of the night. But they were, they thought, they were ready for whatever might happen. So the cohort, a Roman soldier, full battle regalia, he would have a, one of those awful Roman spears. He would have his Roman sword and his shield and all the other stuff. And 600 of them show up. But that's not all. Having procured the cohort and officers from the tree, chief priests, and Pharisees. Now we're told in the other gospel accounts that the temple guard was there. This would have been scores, if not hundreds, of tough guys, policemen who carried clubs. They didn't carry swords, but they carried clubs. And they do what the chief priests and the Pharisees tell them to do, and those guys hated Jesus. They've been conspiring to kill him. We've seen this several times in the gospel. So they would have, you know, they would have the orders. If you happen to hurt him, don't worry about it. If you happen to crack his skull, it's okay. That's gospel according to Charles, but I, I believe that's what their orders would have been. Don't be too light on this guy. 600... Roman soldiers, battle-hardened, heavily armed. Scores, if not hundreds, of temple police were there as well. They were there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Lanterns and torches. Passover is during the full moon. So there shouldn't have been that much of a requirement for lanterns and torches, but they, were, they, were, they came for trouble. They expected Jesus to run. So they were, going to have, they were going to have lights, torches, lanterns, so they could chase him, find him. They are ready for a crowd to object to the arrest of Jesus they are ready to chase Jesus wherever he may run to. He's not going to run. Never did. But they come prepared for all of this. Jesus was not a victim. Let's keep going. I'll explain that. Therefore, Jesus, knowing all things that are coming upon him, Omniscience. 
He knows what he's doing. He knows what they're there for. He knows what's going to happen. Of course, he understood what had already been said in Psalm 22, in Isaiah 53, and in Zechariah, what, chapters 8 or 9 or so to the end of it. All of those, that horrible description about what is going to happen to the Messiah. And even in Daniel, where Daniel had said that the Messiah was going to be murdered. The Hebrew there in that text of Daniel speaks of the murder of the Messiah. And the next phrase in Daniel, and he will receive nothing. In other words, he's going to be murdered and the kingdom will not be established just then. He knows everything that's about to happen to him. And the horrible description, no one would have been more aware of what was about to happen than Jesus himself. Now, knowing all things that are coming upon him came forth and said to them, whom seek you? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Greek text reads it like this. Go, Amy. Go, Amy. That's in the masculine, so the word he should be italicized. But what Jesus literally said was this. When they said, we see Jesus of Nazareth, he said to them, I am. Now that's the name of God. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's not just saying, I'm God. Jesus is in control of the situation. And Jesus is saying this. You have come for God. That's what he said. I am a God. Amen. In Hebrew, I I am. So he says to them, whom seek ye? They say Jesus of Nazareth. He said, well, God is who you're getting. Whew. Now look at this. He's not a victim. He's in control. All the way, all the way from his arrest, well, before, he's been, always been in control. When has he not been in control? But contextually, he's in control from the arrest to the suffering and the whipping and the scourging, the humiliation, the cross, the mockery, the shame, the humiliation. He's in control of it. He is not the victim. He's in charge, directing the whole thing. Now he says, let me correct you. You've come for God. He makes a point. Jesus, uh, Judas, who was also delivering him up, was standing with them. Therefore, when he said to them, I am, they drew backward and fell to the ground. He knocked them down 
with a declaration that he is God. 600 battle-hardened Roman soldiers. Scores and scores of tough guys. Thuggish kind of guys who were the temple police. Spears, swords, daggers, clubs, shields. Surrounding him, how many, so we're looking at what, 800 or so men. That's a lot of guys and they're tough. And they are there because they're ready to fight. And they are there because they've been trained to fight. They know how to fight. One statement from Jesus. Whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth. You've come for God. Poof! They all get knocked down. Knocks them down. How would you feel about that? (laughs) Jesus is in control. He must go to the cross. Now, you know, if I'm a Roman soldier, I'm saying, man, this guy has... I've heard that he walks the seas. He stops storms. If he can stop a storm, my guess is he can throw a lightning bolt. He has raised the dead. He fed thousands and thousands of people. This is what I, this is what I would think they were thinking if Jesus was not in control. And if they were thinking this, getting knocked down by the declaration of himself... You would think these guys would hightail it. But Jesus is in control. But just so they know that he's in control, he knocks them down. His word, his word. Some some wonderful day in heaven, a very dark day on earth, the armies will gather at Armageddon from all over the world. Their crazed evil thoughts will be this. We don't need to fight each other. We need to fight what we hear about Jesus who's coming back. We're going to stop him. And yonder he comes. The Bible talks about how The sharp, wonderful word of God is is who he is. He's the, it's written on his vesture. And in that day, and there are a lot more soldiers, I guess, in that day with more modern weapons, my guess is, than they are here. He doesn't even say a word. He just shows up. And with the radiance of his appearance, the prophet says that their flesh melts off of their bones, the vitreous fluid melts from their eyes, and that the blood that falls from those millions of soldiers drops immediately and it forms a river of blood that is bridle high to a horse and his 
robe is dipped in blood as the victorious Christ walks with a white horse saddled up and riding his white horse. His horse is splashing the blood of his enemies and it splatters on him. He doesn't even say, he just shows up. The power of the Christ He could have called all the angels from heaven if he wanted to. He didn't even need those guys. But with just his declaration, I am. They were all knocked down. Well, Christ has this purpose, this determination. He has this, he knows where where he's going. He knows what he's doing because he knows everything that's coming upon him. And the word of God is irreversible, it's irrevocable, it's unalterable, it's unstoppable, it's infallible, whatever else you want to say about it. The word of God cannot be stopped. The word of God had already declared that the Christ of God must suffer these things. And there he is. He is the Christ of God. He must suffer these things. He knows all things. But he's no less God. Remember, he said in John 17, I'm no longer in the world. I'll give you the gospel of Charles according to that. I'm feeling kind of antsy about this whole thing. And I'm headed to the cross. So, go, I mean, I am. And they all fell backward to the ground. Jesus said in John 10, no man takes my life from me, but I will lay it down. You're not going to take my life. I'm going to give my life. Perfect example here in John 18. They're powerless. They're only going to bind him and take him away because he is ordering it to be so. Thank God he did because he died on the cross for me. All that is wrong with me, everything, horrible sin in all of my existence, he carried it to the cross and paid for it himself. And then coming out of the grave, I came out with him. He is in complete and total control. And he's letting me know that right here. He wasn't tricked, duped, fooled, deceived. Of course not. It is all within his authority and power. And just a small statement to remind us of that, he knocks them all down. Doesn't move, just declares who he is, and then they all fall. Now, therefore he questioned them again. 
Whom seek you? <laughs> now, I, man, I could write the scene for a movie script right here. They're standing up. All of those ranks and files kind of got messed up. Some of them having to reach over and pick up their spears and their shields. Maybe it was such a rumble that it caused them to lose their helmets. They're having to put all this stuff on. This is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. So they're brushing the dust off of them. And they're looking around at one another. And whoever the dude was who was in charge swallows hard, looks around. And Jesus, in control, with a look of authority, his brow furrowed. This is the way I see it, okay. Right up into the face of that guy. Whom seek you? Well, let me read this warrant again here. It says here, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you, I am. You got my name in an earthly sense, but I've told the Father that I've left the world. Therefore, if you seek me, allow these to go away, his disciples. The Gospel of John said he loved his own even to the end. He loves me even now. He has loved me from eternity to eternity because I am his. He cares for his own. They are not equipped at this moment in time to deal with this. They're scared. Since you looked at that warrant closely, all of these witnesses will say that there's only one name on that arrest warrant. So you let these guys go. He said that so the word might be fulfilled. Those whom you have given me, I lost not one of them. There are times I'm afraid and my great high priest in heaven will pray for me, John 17, and then he will act for me, John 18. Don't be afraid. It's all on me. You are free to go. You are set free and you will never be lost, never. You're saved by my power. You are held by my power. You are kept by my power. And I will lose not one of you. We can all be rascals from time to time. Sinners. We still struggle with a, a veil of clay. But when the Father looks at us, he sees us covered with the righteousness of the Son. The Son sees us as one of his own. 
who are included in that promise, I will not lose one of them. To never be lost. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. If there is a tomorrow. I don't know how I may respond to things, but I know that the Holy Spirit is already there. I know that Jesus is already there. I know that the, inter- the intercessory prayer for me is already there. Regardless of what the accuser may accuse me of, and he will have many things tomorrow like he does today to accuse me. But the debt for the sin, the penalty, it's taken care of. It's always and forever been paid. I will lose not one of them. It is though the Son of God says, I will take the horrors of the full wrath of God upon sin, upon myself, and let Charles go. Are you in Christ? He says, let him go. Let her go. Those whom you have given me, I lost not one of them. Well, then there's Peter. <laughs> what you going to do? One guy with a fault knocks everybody down, and Peter, one sword against 600, and spears, and daggers, and clubs. <sighs> That's like me with my SIG P365 in my pocket. And I am surrounded by M1A1 tanks. And F-22s are flying overhead and those awful helicopters are coming at me. But I'm going to take care of things because I'm going to pull out my little P365. What a moron. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, it's okay. He's not condemned for having his sword. Matter of fact, when Christ sent them out two by two, he said, trade your cloak for a sword. <laughs> you might need it. People are going to hate you. Okay, I love that verse. Well, okay, you can have a concealed carry permit. You can carry it with you, but idiot, Don't wave your gun in front of an army. Drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his right ear, going for his head, but the servant kind of dodged. His right ear. (laughs) Luke tells us it's okay. Now the servant's name was Malchus. Luke in 22, chapter 22 says, Jesus reached down, picked up the guy's ear, put it back on him, healed him. Therefore, Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. 
the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Genesis 9 provides for <clears throat> capital punishment. They would have had every right to arrest Peter, at least for attempted murder. And if he had succeeded and cut that guy's head in half, the law of, in Genesis, pre-law, but the law of the Bible was that if you unrighteously spilled a man's blood, if you murdered somebody, you'd have to be murdered. You'd have to be killed, not murdered. You'd have to be put to death. Jesus knows this. Another gospel writer says that Jesus reminded him, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And what that means is, if you kill a guy like this, you're under capital punishment, see. Put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? The cup of wrath, the cup of vengeance. There is only one who could drink it, who could drain the dregs until the thing was dry, and that is God the Son, who had just previously said, Father, I am no longer in this world. I'm otherworldly. Now to do what only I can do. First part of John 70, Father, the hour has come. He died to save me. He lives to keep me. He's coming again for me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and hear me say to you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. If the Father is drawing you into salvation that is found only in his Son, you'll know it. And as you exit this room after our prayer in just a moment, you'll see that there are deacons and their wives inside rooms just across the hall as you exit. And they are there to pray with you. If you could say today that God is calling you into his salvation. Maybe you're here, you're already a Christian and God is calling you into the membership of this church perhaps. They are there to pray with you and to direct you in that as well. Let's all stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer.